Alright, so we are going to have some more of these uh, space cocktails, and we're all going to drink one of these now, now that Mike has proven they're safe. <laughs> With the dry ice <laughs> So in So far. I've proven that they're uh, safe so far. Pa-ting! Alright, and if you were just chiming in, we are nerds of the Old Republic enjoying a space martini here. Can you hear this lovely bubbling? It's legit. That should just be our new theme music, honestly. Just some, <laughs> some, some gurgling, some bubbling. <laughs> Now, these things are allegedly supposed to turn purple as they sublimate, but I don't know if my chemistry is on with that. So let's just walk through real quick. We've got vermouth, mm -hmm. and what else in there? There's vodka in there. And then, uh, so you've got your classic vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Mm -hmm. uh, we're having them dirty with some olives. And then we added, or I added, a pinch of baking soda and about a teaspoon and a half of, um, basically it's like the litmus chemical that comes from a red cabbage. That's supposed to create the color change effect once the dry ice gets in there and does its thing. You drop the dry ice in, things start to bubble, looks pretty badass. And it turns, allegedly it turns colors. Mine's like clarifying and becoming more of like an actual martini. It was pale blue, I don't know. It went purple too pale blue when you put the um, vermouth vodka mm. like the actual martini in and then I think I think the dry ice kicked up some of the baking soda and caused it to like react again to clarify it mm, I'm maybe. not sure we need one, a science teacher the demonstration on the uh, internet that I watched which of course everything on the internet is gold it was like this almost like techno purple color that it turned so mm. I'm sure my measurements are off or something but I, I follow the directions yeah, it looks badass it's in the first place, and it tastes delicious. And he did say that the dry ice will cool the drink, so... Oh, it is. You can feel mm -hmm. it as you grab the glass. But do not drink it until that dry ice is completely gone. Fortunately, I have a little left in the previous one here. So. <laughs> I, got, I got one of these. We've, we've got our side beers. Ah, yes. Which also contain nitrogen. Mm. Yeah. Well, not nit it's not CO2, but nitrogen. So in Nerds of the Old uh, Republic tradition, I want to reach out to... The fine makers of Guinness <laughs> and your wonderful invention of the widget rocket. If you would love to sponsor us, we are looking and always loving sponsors. Yes. Uh, we do enjoy Guinness. We have on us, our sidecar is some nitro cold brew coffee stout, as well as our plain Guinness, which you can just never go wrong with the, co uh, the Guinness drought. For Guinness. <clears throat> Purveyors of alcoholism, the world drought. <laughs> An invention of the year when they created the widget rocket that released nitrogen into the beer. This is true. And fine books of world records. <laughs> that is ah, right. Yes. That is right. And now owned by Budweiser, I believe, or at least the same company that owns Budweiser. Yeah. Not to bring the party down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, InBev. Nope, that's the other one. Uh, so, uh, in, again, Nerd's tradition, whoever picks the book gets to describe the book yes. for us. So, uh, Sean, what have we read for this we uh, this month's cast? Well, before I interrupt you, let me open my Guinness here. And, uh, uh, yes. Then I can sip it while you speak. Okay. I, I love that we're three episodes in and we've already got traditions. It's uh, well, Yeah, they, they <laughs> tradition. very hellowed. Tradition. And ancient. And wow, this Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee is quite excellent. It is. This is my first sip of, of this, uh, yeah. and it is really good. I want to just, you know, have some of this frosty beverage in my lips. It <laughs> tastes so good when it touches them. 
Are we reaching for sponsors or are we avoiding talking about the book? Ah, well, <laughs> can't it be both? I kill as many birds as I can at one time, guys. So today we are talking about my first choice for the podcast. And um, it is, well, let's just get right into it. It is Arthur C. Clarke's 3001, The Final Odyssey. Indeed. We'll talk about my interaction with 2001, the movie, Mm. at some point. I did want to actually rent a few apes from the zoo to come in and, like, you know, smash some skulls, smash shit up, but (laughs) unfortunately, they don't rent them out for for parties. We we can recreate the battle at the end of that opening sequence right here in our podcast studio. Loving this idea. (laughs) Do I get to be the non weaponized gorilla? Hey, those right. things, fuck, they, they, they were fucking freaky. When I was yeah. a kid watching that, like, they look yeah. so human, but they're not. <laughs> so since this is the final book in the series, would you mind just kind of catching people up with as as much as we can? Like, 2001 right. is, is fairly canonical. People know it, I think. I did not know there were two in between 2001 mm-hmm. and 3001, so I don't know if we could just kind of give so, a rundown. My understanding of how this series worked was Arthur C. Clarke wrote a short story, and uh, it caught the attention of Stanley Kubrick. And they wanted to produce a film, and this all happened long before the lunar landing, before uh, NASA really, and in the Russian space uh, race there, they actually did anything that proved the concepts. They were kind of all just guessing out of whole cloth. And uh, they produced one of the most iconic space movies of all time. Hella boring for most of it. But if you're a film nerd like Mike and I are, man, I'm not, I'm not sure about your film nerd credentials at this point. But The the film nerd is weak in this one. Ah. <laughs> but I enjoy good movies. So it's it's widely recognized mm-hmm. as a masterpiece of a certain kind of filmmaking. Let's, mm-hmm. We'll be as uh, we'll hedge our bets and equivocate as much as we can here. But... Um, Afterwards, I, th- I guess Clark wanted to keep revisiting this world that he had helped to create, and he went back and wrote, I believe, 2015, which was the next Odyssey, and there was a film made of that, not a Stanley Kubrick film, but another production. I vaguely recall seeing that as a, mm-hmm. as a kid. And then there was, I think, 2037 or 39, I, you know what? 61. 2061, yes. 61. That was the next Odyssey where uh, we learn about Lucifer and the change in Jupiter, which we can probably get into as we get into the text. Oh, my drink is turning purple. Mm-hmm. And then uh, finally, Clark, I guess maybe someone drove a dump truck full of money to his front yard and said, we want another book. and Or maybe he had a deal with his publisher or something. But in the mid-90s, he came out with 3001, which is the final Odyssey. And uh, we explore the adventures of Frank Poole, who, if you might recall, you super fans of the, the Kubrick film, was the first astronaut, I believe, aside from the ones that were in hibernation, that Hale murdered when he went out for an EVA. And um, the, the famous scene of him flying, flailing away into space and then slowly dying, and uh, Dave Bowman tried to save him. That's the protagonist of this novel, which takes place a thousand years after he was jettisoned off from the Discovery into space. And that's where we can pick up. So this is our first hard sci-fi book. Different from our cyberpunk. Different from the dystopian World War Z. And so one thing I wanted to focus in on is, you know, we see uh, we see him a thousand years later. Did that immediately put you guys off? Kind of like it did me that he could just survive in space for a thousand mm. years. He was just chilling, literally 
It did not put me off because I decided to accept the premise <laughs> in the beginning. Um, That's fair. You know, I, I decided not to question Sean is cringing. That. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Guys, I'm ready for this. I That's am ready. Fine. I keep it on. I I brought ice, dry ice drinks. <laughs> are, are these safe to drink now, by the way? They've stopped bubbling. Mine has stopped sublimating. You're yeah. going to be the first to try it. I think. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll, 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 if I'll we go, that. we go down together. Well, that's pretty good, and yeah, I uh, I appear to not be choking. And how and, cold is it? <laughs> it's chilled. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely chilled. Mine stopped bubbling the last, so I'm going to give it a few minutes before All right. I dig yeah, in. But. I would. So, yeah. So this was not a good book. <laughs> now, do you? Say, <laughs> and I do you feel- say that as somebody who who like watched and read 2001, or did you hop into it at the end like me? Because I feel like my criticisms are almost unwarranted being that I read the final book in a series yeah. and that was it. Now, I did not read 2001 and I did not, I, I had seen scenes from the movie, you know, here or there, but I'd never watched the whole movie until we read this. Um, so, so, but I don't, I mean, just from like reading people's reactions to this book, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like a lot of people who are very much fans of 2001, the book, um, feel that this this book is the first two books are good and the last two books are are much okay. less in terms of quality for all the reasons I'm sure we're going to discuss. I want to clarify that I feel bad saying this is not a good book because I didn't dislike it as I was reading it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the first 100 pages honestly were really interesting. Like mm-hmm. the whole thing with like the tower cities yeah. and the whole idea of like what the world would look like in a thousand years given to us through the eyes of someone relatively from our time period as our entry point, which is another reason why I accepted that because I was mm-hmm. like that that helps us see that world a little better. I found all of that really interesting. But it's just that you know, after that, what were there, four or five books in this thing? And after book one ended, I was like, okay, now the plot's going to pick up. It did not. And it did not introduce a plot until the final 30 pages, right. yeah. which it then solved in the old Independence Day, like hit him with a virus and, uh, you know, the whole thing uh, with uh, Will Smith and yeah. I ain't heard the fat lady and, and Jeff Goldblum. Uh, like, there's a shout out to that. At the end, did you read the notes? No, I didn't. They were not my library copy. Uh, I library it. In this copy, in the notes at the end, Arthur C. Clarke acknowledges that Independence Day has a very similar premise. Wow. And he swears he was first. So, <laughs> Which he's is dead now, so that's we, can't, fine. we can't argue. Which is fine. I And I do. I feel really strange, believe me, using Independence Day as like a, a yeah. relative marker for how a narrative should go. But <laughs> oh, Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman was a I legend in that, that film. But they did the work throughout that movie. Yeah, like, yeah. they built a plot and characters. And like this movie, it was like 30 pages from the end, they're like, oh, this shit might be sending out a signal and, and that might <laughs> yeah. be dangerous and we should probably zap yep. it with a virus. I, and then they just did. It wasn't even hard. They just uploaded a virus. It's so funny <clears throat> listening to you talk because you sound exactly like me with Snow Crash. <laughs> and I was waiting for it. As soon as I got back into this book realizing I'd made a huge mistake. <laughs> like, why did I pick this book? Tactical error. So, you know what? You know what came, this is what it came down to, guys. Go I, for it. I needed to pick a book, right? I needed to find something that was different from what we'd already done, something mm-hmm. that could keep furthering our purposes here. 
and I saw it on my bookshelf at school. And I'm That's like, fair. oh, Clark, 3001. I loved that when I was in high school. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I read Snow Crash. And I was <laughs> like, what the fuck? And then I read 3001 A Space Odyssey. And I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> I've grown up a lot. <laughs> so if you don't know what we're talking about with Snow Crash, just go back and check out the um, episodes on the pod. Download it multiple times. Download it multiple times. Tell all your best friends. Tell right. all your friends you don't know. Send it maybe to spam lists on your right. next door app anything log into your family and friends phones and download it to their phones yeah do what you got to do <laughs> but create a bot that downloads it <laughs> infinite times thank you it was the <laughs> it was the previous book read and uh, mike and i were fans of it mike had actually recommended it and came to it first and i became a fan just because i've realized that cyberpunk is probably my favorite sci-fi speculative fiction genre and, and sean was being the hard sci-fi lover meaning like more scientifically based and maybe more, am I fair in saying more set far flung into the future? Um, I guess for me, it's the premise has to be a bit more acceptable to my mm. analytical side. Okay. And I, I guess that's being harsh because, you know, after talking with you guys and, and coming to the final conclusion I had, I really liked Snow Crash. I don't hate it. <laughs> sure. I don't. But I think what made for good podcasting <laughs> was the fact that there were I had so many problems with things and mm. after Mike talked about I I had no no pre or prior uh experience with Neil Stevenson so mm. for me I was going in fresh like a lot like you guys kind of were with this and um I guess I was expecting something different and that's what came through in that discussion but now and after I was enlightened I went back <laughs> and I felt more like you know what it's just fun it's a fun mm. romp I got to let it go a little bit. I got to yeah. let, you know, I got to let my hair down and just sort of experience the insanity that is the book. And once I look back and retrospectively thought of it that way, I really do enjoy it. And for those uh, who are listening and obviously cannot see us, Sean's hair is down tonight for this, for this episode. It is. It, is. it looks very nice, by thank the you. way. Thank you. I appreciate it's that. It's darn near the crown of his head. <laughs> <laughs> I shaved my beard off, too, in between the last two casts. I, oh, I we, didn't we, well, we are living now. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I, this, this is it. I'm done. I'm ready for this pandemic to be over. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, one of the things we had talked about when... Sean had picked 3001 was that World War Z was very negative, obviously a zombie pandemic mm. in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, things weren't as good when we picked it um, as they are now. Things are getting better. And, and 3001 is a little bit more optimistic. So why don't we talk about the optimistic tone while Sean makes an odd face at his martini? Are you okay? That is not good. What do you... What, <laughs> Are you sure? Maybe I've just drank know. enough that it's all uh, good. I, maybe I'm just like in my mind. I'm thinking cabbage juice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even taste it. I just no. I taste the vodka and the okay. vermouth. Yeah, maybe I'll make it for my father-in-law. He's into that kind of shit. There you go. So, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to bring it back around to, to the positive. Yeah, okay. I don't want to hate yeah. on this book, Sir Arthur C. Clarke. He is knighted for a reason. Boom. Point. There we go. This is our bell. There you, you can have oh, that bell. I get my own bell. Yes, you, I know well, you're you can't the host. see it, but we've talked about it for a while, and and we have a bell for like when you make a good point. So Sir Arthur C. Clarke, obviously knighted for a reason. Mm. I don't besmirch his like writing. Look at me, I'm two martinis in using the word besmirch. Oh, um, <laughs> two. I'm gonna try to. You know what's gonna happen? Oh man, he's. 
You're building an insurmountable lead. At well, this we're point. waiting for the sexual <laughs> reference. And that's yeah, that is be, not. We need yet. the sexual to Dylan, and then what was Sean singing? The, I don't um, fucking remember. No, I you are uh, you. You're your what's his name? The actor in his post-apocalyptic film. Oh, oh, oh yes. Kevin Costner. Kevin, Kevin Costner. Yeah. All right, don't worry, so I'm working on it. Start planning your Costner reference. <laughs> yes. So one thing I really did appreciate this. Uh, about this book even though it didn't have quite the plot that i was looking for and it did take a while to build up to that that conflict um i did not get to a climax and i'm resenting that i did not leave a tip on its bet on its dresser mm. it wasn't even your fault you hadn't drank too much no or anything. no i did not have whiskey dick but you, did you didn't and cry afterwards did you i always cry afterwards. <laughs> but either way uh, i was really happy to see that like humanity figured some shit out yes so you, yeah. can we talk about the positives here and i think that's what you know before i said I, I feel really bad saying this is not a good book because there's so much about it like I, I didn't have any usually if i'm reading a book that i don't like i'm actively feeling disdain for what mm -hmm. i'm reading and i never felt that for a single page of this book no the first no, no. hundred pages i i've said already that i liked very much it was just that at a certain point, I, I felt like I was reading something informational rather than like a, a, a fiction, a story, a fantasy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and that's when I began to be like, okay, this this is poor writing. But I do want to say that from, you know, I, I've read some, some reviews and like the thinking seems to be, let me put it this way. Some artists, you know, achieve greatness in their youth and then they're able to still continue achieving greatness when they're old. Like Bob Dylan, for example. Who is still? <laughs> ah, there it is. Who is still still in. putting out masterful albums, even though he's approaching eighty or maybe I've, eighty. I've I don't not know. listened to most recent albums. But. Well, you, you wouldn't if you don't like his early stuff. You will not like his old oh, stuff. I'll say in that. the seventies. I he I don't know uh, I don't know I don't know. Yeah. He's he's got to be approaching eighty, if not eighty. But Let me go to my monolith in my pocket. If I may return uh, yeah. to the point, I think what I've read is that Arthur C. Clarke's sequels. Um, are not highly regarded, but the early stuff, which I have not read, yeah. um, you know, and by the early stuff, I mean most of his career for decades is very highly regarded. 3001, I guess what I'm saying is that from what I've read, it's not a reflection on 2001. Right. That's um, fair. Which is supposed to be a far better book with characters that are developed to some right. extent with right. some plot and, and that the kind other of thing. texts are more along the lines of a traditional narrative, too. Bob Dylan is 79, by the way. Ooh, so there. Wow. In case you were wondering. And he, still, just this year. Just this year. Or I should say 2020. Yeah. Yeah. He's almost the same age lucky. as our president. There you go. Oh. For the record. Oh, boy. And, 78 on him. Yeah, and both men just doing phenomenal things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More than I am doing at my 35. <laughs> way more. the world a lot more than we ever will. <laughs> That's, That's right. That's true. Yeah. Um, I will tell you when I come around. Although with this podcast is world dominating and we have achieved like Howard Stern levels yeah. of, of saturation on the media, we can look back on this and laugh that we were so naive about our own impending destinies. That, Howard, that is yeah. a great point. Yeah. yeah. That is a... Mark your calendars, kids. This is the day we <laughs> predicted it. That's right. Yeah, like the Simpsons, mm -hmm. we're predicting future things. Indeed. Uh, and in fact, it's funny we talk about like sci-fi predicting the near future. You know, um, I know Sean and I have taught 1984 many times yep. um, to tenth graders who don't care. <laughs> Some of them do. So that's fair. Yeah. Some of them really do. Um, Three thousand one, and then the the interims in two thousand one. Predicting the near future, mm -hmm. um, and The Simpsons predicting the future. I wonder, 
do you think that Arthur C. Clarke in 3001 is on a decent trajectory based on where we are now, considering climate change is really fucking us up as it is? Sorry, Texas. Looking at 3001, you know, those, those mega towers. Yeah. And the rings surrounding Earth to launch and um, terraforming other planets. Do we think that Arthur C. Clarke is as... Um, predictive maybe as other sci-fi authors or is it too far off to tell you know I, for a minute i want to go back a second because you were talking about the negativity of yeah. the first text and sure that is the one thing i and you went back to that point i wanted to pick something that had a real positive vibe and this which does is rare for the, the genre of stuff that we talk about it's true outside of the happy ending of star wars which you know honestly it's kind of not anymore but the, um, and Star Trek is, well, is very utopian future. Until yeah. they realize that that doesn't sell enough tickets. Right. And then they yeah. started making it much more dystopian. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that when we get to Star Trek. Sure. Yeah. I wanted something that had a real, like, upbeat, hey, humanity is going to be just fine. And I remember reading this in high school, and I, you know, was a, a, a Tolkienite for so long. And then I became a, a, a Marvel fan and a Star Wars fan and all... I You name the nerdy genres. That's, that's why I'm here. Yeah. You're the otaku. Well, compared to me, at least. I want to speak for Mike. <laughs> I appreciate that, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> but I um, I remember reading this and the, the long-lasting effect that it had on me was just this sheer optimism about our species that always stuck with me. And I think that's probably why I failed to remember how shitty the narrative is <laughs> but just the fact that we could build glittering diamond towers in sure. the sky that were kilometers wide and we could go to lunar orbit sort of stuff and that we would have terraformed basically the solar system to meet our needs and then avoided some asshole alien species deciding that we weren't worth it because of our record from the 20th century which they called the worst period in mankind's history they haven't it, seen the 21st century. But it, it, it made me feel like, and I think we see signs of this, but it's really easy to be pessimistic. Mm -hmm. It is so easy to wrap yourself in the warm blanket of ennui and just sort of embrace the fact that we're all going to go to hell in a handbasket because we fucking suck. It's much harder to look at the world and say, no, we've overcome worse than this. Mm -hmm. We will be fine. We will figure things out. Fuck it. It's going to be great. Why are you so worried? And Arthur C. Clarke does that. And he mm -hmm. does it in the mid-90s at a time when, granted, it wasn't... It's hard to remember, honestly. Now we're looking back through the veil of time. But and I don't, the veil I, of two martinis in, in half again Guinness. That's true. Yeah. But I don't remember the 90s being ultra-pessimistic. The music might have been. But society was riding high on Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. We had we know, had a surplus in America. A surplus. The dot com boom. The internet was making things possible. Mm -hmm. We um, we were pretty much out of wars for a while at that point. Mm -hmm. There wasn't like, terrorism was sort of a distant thing that maybe happened in Africa or in the Middle East, and it didn't really affect yeah. us yet. Oklahoma City. Aside from that domestic, yeah. which and then Columbine, which Columbine. you look at those moments, and yes, they, those are centerpieces of just horror and terror but for the most part i think he reflected that feeling that no we're very smart people mm -hmm. and we can figure our way out of the problems that we've created we can make things better we just have to give ourselves a chance and not give in to that feeling of of just uh entropy 
You know, I hadn't thought about the 90s before as, you know, an overall positive time. But, I mean, now that, that you mention it, even those incidents that you mention are, like, they wouldn't be shocking now. And right. here we are talking about them in 2021 because they were shocking then. Right. Columbine was a school shooting. Those happen every week now, you know. And, and at the yeah. time that that happened, um, you know, that was, like, such an unprecedented thing that was... Yeah impossible for people to understand that like we still remember columbine we forget all the rest of them or most of the rest of them yeah but we remember that one that's how the 90s were um and i brought up star trek before i mean that was also star trek you know was in its heyday there in the early to mid 90s well, the greatest generation that's the right. next generation so but but you're right in these arthur c clark um you know, my experience with, with his work is 3001 in the movie, 2001. Same here. I can't think of a, of a human antagonist in either of those. The antagonists are always external threats. Um, so when you're, your point about, like, the positive view of humanity, who are the human bad guys in either of those, uh, you know, text, movies, whatever? He doesn't have them. No. Yeah. I guess the closest we get is imprisoning Daniil in 3001 for his crimes and then releasing him but he almost tries to spin it as a positive that yeah this guy was being rehabilitated mm-hmm. and sure he was a valet which yeah. is just another word for a slave i guess in their word but indentured servant but he pool or not yeah, it was a pool pool right yeah no, yeah he encounters him later on and the guy had no memory of him and just realizes oh this dude's totally rehabilitated now right. so he yeah. paid his penance he went through his rehabilitation and he's fine now it, what's interesting is he's trying to place humanity a thousand years into the future. That's hard. It is. And you look at the scope of humanity, and we've been around for a very long time. Our recorded history stretches back 6,000 years. And you think about you know, those epoch, those leaps in time, in the general scheme of things, we have advanced so much in 50, 60, 70 years than we have in the entire history of time. Mm-hmm. We're speeding up. Right. That You've got to really stretch the brain to even go a 1,000 years in the future. Like 3,001 might have been a conservative thought. But it's so weird how grounded a lot of the humanity in the book still is. Like, they, they're still having sex. They're still maybe with apes. They're still, uh, we'll get to that later, maybe. Flying Dragon Lady. Yeah, Flying Dragon Lady. One of my favorite parts of the book, by the way. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Flying Dragon Lady where um, Poole is characterized as both wanting human desires and then being shunned for being um, mutilated. Mutilated, mutilated. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. i got to find this. because Mutilated. This was... I feel bad now. <laughs> oh, yeah. In Western culture, th- now this is really interesting, like in Western culture, the idea of being... Um, uncircumcised uncircumcised is almost odd right in well at least 2021 right i had this debate with my wife when my son was born and we talked about it and yeah. it was one of those things where like you know we always go back to that seinfeld reference like it had no face no personality <laughs> and our first thought was like we don't want him to be Looks a weirdo so you know and it's like is and i've had friends that they told me like no i've never been circumcised or whatever yeah. and i'm sure they live full rich lives of <laughs> sure they do. amazing it's very generous of you but uh, <laughs> i just i feel like it's it's just not the norm i can't find it's it a in dated the book. reference i can't find it in the book but i literally laughed out loud at it because i mean the punchline to the whole thing is that she works for like the nostalgia society yes. or she's the president yes. of the yes. nostalgia society or whatever so he like <laughs> woos her and they're about to have sex and she jumps up and says like, 
I didn't know you were mutilated. Yeah. And he says, you know, leave it to me to find like the one, um, you know, nostalgia that she does not like or does not appreciate. Wait a minute. Who brought this, who brought this reference up? I did. Oh, three points. <laughs> Man, I was, I was dying. I was laughing out loud at that part. And, oh my gosh, and yeah. as I was yeah. looking for it. You know, part of the fun of the first hundred pages was was all the ways that the the future people reacted to pool. Yeah, and I came across another one that I had circled where um, he makes some reference to meat, eating meat. He's having dinner with a couple people, mm-hmm. and they all react awkwardly, and he can tell that they reacted awkwardly. And then they refer to it as corpse food. Yes. They say corpse yes. food is on the way out, even in your time. I <laughs> forgot about that. An interesting factoid that I didn't know until I read some of the notes later was that he lived in Sri Lanka for most of his adult life. Really? So I'm wondering how much that Eastern the sort of like Indian subcontinent sort of cultural stuff really affected his worldview mm. of the non-circumcision, the not eating meat. Mm-hmm. A lot of that was probably in his mind a very enlightened attitude to take. Sure. And that permeates through his idea mm-hmm. that eventually humanity is going to wake up and they're going to realize, don't cut off the end of your dick yeah. and don't eat a cow. You don't need right. to do that. Just take a shower, and right. also peel <laughs> it back and yeah, yeah, just clean in there a little bit. You know the word you're looking for, Adam? Schmegma. Oh, yeah. oh, I don't want to say. It. I'm Make sure take... you hashtag that. When you yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Do. yeah. You, you know we're gonna pick up like a thousand subscribers from the hashtag Schmegma. Yeah. No, I was actually just gonna go with the idea that uh, pool is like almost reincarnated. Indeed. In, in a very you know like Buddhist tradition. It's a great thought. He's yeah. brought back. Well, to Martini's in, yeah. But that gets back to your first point about, like, you know, getting into it. It's like, how do you believe that this guy's been floating around in space for a thousand years? And That's they... the thing that got me. I think he put it so far in the future because he assumed that by that point they would be able to do that. Bring him back or he'd survive. Because I would believe that they could bring him back if he was in some sort of, like, stasis pod. Well, wait. But floating out in a stasis, space suit? Space is a stasis pod. It's a sterile environment, Right. Yeah. All the oxygen and everything else would have been evacuated out of that suit when the perimeter of it was cracked. Sure. Right? I'm with you still. So he would have frozen. As long as they had the ability to repair the cellular damage from that freeze, they could theoretically bring him back. And they even mentioned oh. that there were issues that he couldn't, that they would never re- fully regain like his full lifespan potential or his yeah. full brain usage. Like they were kind of vague about it. Right. Like yeah. the, the doctors are, Oh, you might not be able to do this. And yeah. he's like, Oh, okay. Which I always took is like, you might not be able to fuck. Yeah. But right. you're jerking off right hand instead of left hand now. Sorry, yeah. Mr. Poole. Well, you're straightening out the curve. So, yeah. oh. but there is precedent for this that goes beyond a thousand years for those of us who have seen, um, Encino man. Oh, yes. Polly Shore reference. Great. For Mike. Oh, yes. Point for Mike. Oh, yeah. These bells were a great right. investment. Oh, <laughs> all the best eight bucks spent. Well, we're going to have to listen later and figure out what the score actually is because I've, I've already it's, lost. It's like whose line is anyway. The score doesn't matter. Yeah, though. it doesn't matter. It's no. just It just feels good to get points. It's it very does. affirming. Yeah, it really does. But you know what? I <laughs> This is one of those tropes about sci-fi is you know bringing someone back to life or someone who... Um, you know, is in some sort of suspended animation. Frozen in Carbonite. comes back. Frozen in Carbonite. There you go. Great reference. Whoever. Um, Sickness. <laughs> Your eyesight will return in time. That's great. Damn. I hope the microphone picks up the quality of That's that. That's the martini speaking. You yeah. guys didn't hear my Yoda earlier. Did you hear my Yoda? No, I, I was upstairs. I missed it. Oh, and I didn't hear it either. So did you just... 
perform it to an empty room? I might have. What happened? Give me a Yoda line. I'll what did I... Um, help you, I can. Help you, I can. Yes. <laughs> Yoda. You seek Yoda. Oh, that's good. That, that is, is good. good. I, I've worked on that Yoda voice for years. <laughs> I can't tell you how much that Grogu has reinvigorated the love of, of Star Wars in my family. Oh, yeah. Yes. My youngest, or my oldest son loves he has a grogu that like goes everywhere with him goes to school sometimes Aww, that's adorable it's adorable yeah. it doesn't talk but it's like two and a half feet tall quick shout out to our next cast when we yeah. discuss timothy zahn's thrawn and everything else about star wars and i i have much to say about the mandalorian that's so. gonna oh be my a god in. that will be a jumbo episode <laughs> we might have to break that into two yeah. stay tuned part one and yeah. part two. that's Big gonna call. be that's gonna be a, a moment guys yeah because because a hundred and or I'm sorry, one hour and twenty eight minutes was the last cast, and I don't want to go longer than that. So we might do two. And you're yeah, back up on the drink thing, my friend. So it's yeah. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna find something for blue milk. Here. Blue milk. Blue, blue milk. milk. Oh, it's gotta yes. be blue milk. All right. So join us. I will find a blue milk recipe. Those of y'all. Find us on at Nerds of Old Republic on all the socials. I will share <laughs> some drink recipe with you. Excellent. I feel like we are really avoiding talking about this. Yeah, we should. We should. We should start at the beginning. I'm not going to force us to go like chapter (laughs) by chapter. But we talked about the positivity. Mm -hmm. We talked about some of the the sci-fi references. Go ahead. Let me lay it down and see what you guys think. Because, again, I feel like I'm playing defense. And, honestly, I feel weird about playing. I feel like, I don't know, like like the NFL team was trying to tank to get the best best draft pick. In the Bills for half a season. Well, for for half a decade. Half a decade, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, well, we never tanked. We're not that bad. We're well, not. We're not the Oakland Raiders. Oh, we'll just switch but. out bills for Sabers and then. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Yes, there it is. I saw oh, before man. you get going. I saw a um, Avengers Endgame reference. Do you remember the scene where he's talking to the the baby? Um, what's his daughter's name? That he like adopts from the planet. Um, she's green. Oh, uh, Gamera. Um, Gamera. Yeah. He talks to baby Gamera in his, like, fever dream after achieving the, like, mm-hmm. goal. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? And so the meme takes that and, you know, he talks to her and he's like, yes, what did it cost? Everything. Because, you know, he almost dies and all these things. So for the, the Bills well, and Sabres. He had to kill his daughter. Yeah, he had to kill his own daughter. For the, the Bills and Sabres, it was, um, what did you gain? Or are the Bills good? What did it cost? And he says, the sabers oh <laughs> so perfect ding okay. ding for, th- yeah. for those of you who are uh, buffalo sports fans you'll get that reference yeah uh, commiserate with us as we all drink some of our beer oh, yeah. i will i will take i finished yeah. my beer so i'm gonna go to the martini all right so i totally forgot what i was gonna say you were playing defense uh, right, playing defense. defense fuck um i don't know if i can <laughs> So, 3001. While you're, like, <laughs> returning to your thought, I- I'll just reiterate what I said before. I, I thought Thanks, the Mike. best part of the book was the first, like, 90 or 100 mm-hmm. pages. Yeah. It was fascinating to, like, envision that future world, to get it through the eyes of Pool. Um, there was so much cool shit. I mean, the Tower Cities, like, mm-hmm. even just the little things that Arthur C. Clarke talked about, like, the way the elevator moved, you know? And he described, yeah. like, the inertial damper. Yeah. yeah. And, like, yeah. he's like, this, this trip's going to take, like, seven hours, and it took 40 minutes. And then he goes into, like, the science behind that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I found all of that really fascinating. Me too. I was, like, really disappointed when that dude, like, who found him in space, showed up, and he's like, oh, I'm going to go with you on your ship. Because I'm like, I kind of want you to stay in Tower City yeah. and, like, keep showing yeah. me shit. And it's like, Africa Tower, yeah. too. It's like... Yeah. You would Africa think Tower it, is really interesting. What's, yeah, what gets me is, like, you would think we're so Western-centric 
He's like, oh, he's going to be in North America Tower, of yeah. course. Chicago New York City Tower. Tower. Yeah, yeah, Chicago yeah but Tower. He, he did visit his home in like Arizona or whatever briefly in a wheelchair. But right. yeah. the fact and the fact that he does that, he limits his character based on like real thoughtful science. Like, there's no way that guy can go back to that gravity. I'm like, that's that fucking hurts. Yeah. But um, I, I kind of remember what I was going to say now. And now I lost it again. <laughs> oh, no, no. You, you reminded me. It's the, uh, yeah, damn it. It's the um, just the speed, the, the, the sheer speculative futurism. Yeah. There's so much like great shit that that's what stuck with me besides the optimism is the idea like, oh, we're going to have these things called brain caps. Mm. Everyone's going to be bald and no one's going to give a shit. Because you're going to have, like... <laughs> There's well, hope for our future. Right. And the women are going to wear wigs, so what the fuck's that matter? Sorry. And, like, it's going to be incredible. Like, everyone's going to have, like, this brain cap thing. We're going to be able to terraform Venus. Fucking Venus. Yeah. I have always thought Venus is a better target than Mars because it seems so much more interesting to me. Going back to the, even the Bradbury short story about going to Venus, like, they're, like the reigns of Venus or whatever the hell it yeah. was. Sorry, I'm getting deep in the nerd beads here. But... That's what we do. Like... It's just, he goes into all this detail, and then, like, Lucifer. We haven't even talked about Lucifer oh, yet. Go That's ahead. Cool. Get into that. So, I read the other books, and I have okay. to go, I'm going full nerd on this, because I I know this was the last of the series that I read, but I did read the others, and I don't even know why. I don't know what drew me to them. I don't know, ultimately. I think it was because The desire I, to complete a series? I think I went to the library mm-hmm. one day with my mother or father, probably not my dad, my mom, let's be honest. And I went to the library. My dad wasn't a reader. And uh, I saw it on a shelf. It looked fucking cool on the cover. I judged that book by its cover. And I thought, oh, I've seen parts of that movie and I've heard about it. I'm going to read the book. I was enchanted. Mm-hmm. It drew me in. I loved the world he had created. I loved that that futuristic retro futurism at that point. Yeah. And then I, I pulled it all the way up to this. And just the idea that the, the monoliths were these intelligent computers... After having seen the final 10 minutes of 2001, it starts to become like this, like, oh, I get it now. I understand. Because Kubrick will never tell you. He'll never show you exactly what you need to know everything. Right. 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 He'll leave it out there and be like, you guess. And it's just, you know, you figure it out or you don't. And you had to be high as shit, probably. And incidentally, by the way, 2001, a little side note, because I used to teach that to a film class. And uh, one of the things I taught them... Was to roll a split? (laughs) No. Was that the movie itself, I told him it's dreadfully boring. Yeah. For a lot of it. I did fall asleep. I'm going to admit that. It's slow. Fell asleep. But again, if you don't know Kubrick, you don't understand what he does and why. Mm -hmm. And a part of it was there's a certain kind of pacing he does deliberately. But he brings you to that last 20 minutes of just Dave Bowman going into psychedelic wherever yeah. Apparently the hippies back in the 60s when this movie came out, like the movie bombed. It bombed. I believe it. Drastically yeah. bombed until hippies found it and they were high on LSD or on yeah. weed. And what what happened is they would sell out the theater, get completely high in the first three hours of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And then they would all migrate down to the front of the scene and just sit on the floor in front of the screen and watch that last sequence happening. Can I just tell you my experience with 2001? Oh, please. So I was watching it. I rented it on Blu-ray from the library, and I'm watching recently. Recently, last okay. week. Oh, okay. Last week. All right. Uh, my first time seeing the whole thing through. Like I had seen cuts of it. I had seen parts of it. You know, Dave. I can't. 
do that, Dave. Like, I've, I've seen that. Yeah. So I'm watching the whole thing through, and I'm getting cold, so I pull up a blanket, and I fall asleep. And I wake up to the trip scene. <laughs> and, and literally, the first thing that enters my mind besides what I see is, there's no way to know which way we're rowing. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, yeah. you know, Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory is playing in my mind while I'm watching the light scene from three or 2001. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? I think Adam just I made get it. my new headcanon. The Oompa Loompas designed the monolith. Ooh. I honestly, sure, take a point. That's fine. <laughs> no, that's your point. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, because I'm watching this and I really wanted to be there. Yeah. I love the idea of being a cinephile. And I love the idea of what are you doing? And I wake up and there are those lights flashing in my face. And all of a sudden... He's in a white room yeah. that looks like it's like Louis the Fourteenth. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is and he's, happening? And he's aging in each room. Yeah, he's yeah. aging in each room, and like that's not even three thousand one. And I'm trying to catch up with what's happening to Dave and Hal. Well, did you catch the the theme throughout the whole film is human evolution? Right. So Follow he's me. evolving at the end. Sure. And okay. he becomes, as we know now, Hellman, right. which is a connection between the computer. Yeah. Children or child of man, the hell nine yeah. was it hell three two thousand nine thousand whatever it is the hell I think it's nine thousand thousand and um and Dave Bowman who becomes sort of the singular entity mm-hmm. that exists kind of separate but together in the monolith the singularity dare I say in a way yes you understand that and how basically becomes the salvation of mankind in the end of things but yeah like the star baby all of that at the end of two thousand one. It's almost like it demystifies it yeah. a bit yeah. when you read this and you're like, oh, so that's what that means. Right, because yeah. at the end of the movie, you're like, what the fuck is happening? Mm-hmm. And, but yeah. then in, in, in the the whole thing with Hellman actually comes up from what I've read in one of the, like maybe the very next prequel or it might have been 26 or sequel. It, there's a shadow of it beyond, yeah. where they do that whole like Lucifer, Jupiter thing mm-hmm. exploding. But I wanted to say, I mean, I, I think it's telling, by the way, that we're now talking about the movie instead of the book. <laughs> But <laughs> thanks, guys. Giving you a point, Mike. Yeah, yeah. But Send I, your point. like, I, so I watched the Those movie. Those of you at home, take your point. I hope so. Yeah, someone at home better be keeping score here because I mean, we need to know who uh, who comes out on top. But I, um, I, I just watched the movie all the way through for the first time myself a couple weeks ago, and um, man, and I fucking loved it. But I totally can see why someone would not. Because it's sort of like that, the good, the bad, and the ugly style of filmmaking. You know, with, with like, this, you know what I'm talking about, the Sergio Leone, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eastwood Spaghetti movie, Western. If you could, like, explain And it's, like, that. the slowest moving mm-hmm. yeah. movie you've ever yeah. seen. Like, I don't think anybody in that movie says a word for, like, the first 20 minutes. It's the slowest developing scene. Yeah. And and a lot of the movie is that way. Once Upon a Time in the West is another one like that. Mm-hmm. Also, Sergio, Sergio Leone. The movie um, blood and there's there's a the scene way. where yes. there's about to be like a shootout at a train station. There uh, there will be blood. Is um, uh, shoot. Who's the director of that one? Great I modern director. Can't remember. And it's uh, I'll look it up and it. And I'm also yeah. blanking on the fucking actor who's like the best actor of our generation. Oh, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> Did you say uh, Abe Lincoln? Um, hey Blinken. Abe Lincoln. Uh, wait, there's our. Uh, 
our reference to um, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. Hey, Mel Brooks every cast. All right, yeah. <laughs> I've yet but, to make my sex, re- sex reference, but, but, but holy shit, like, oh, you did, you did, you made your sex uh, reference, dude. Your your space martinis are like fucking frying my brain. I am honestly really am sorry, guys. Shot. But anyways, my my point here is that those <laughs> slow developing movies, those like I, you know, where the thing just sort of simmers quietly. Yeah, yeah I yeah. fucking eat that shit. Up. I love that. Typically, shit. I do. And I was watching two thousand one, and I was just. Just like everything, like they're like, we're gonna go out here and we're gonna fix this one part of the spaceship. Yeah. And so for like forty minutes, we watch him drift <laughs> through space with like the tools. But what's great is you know like yeah. that. But I love that and and the classical music that yes. they brought in. Yeah. Like, it was so brooding. But I, I, what what's great about it is there's no sound when they're in space. No, it's he's dead accurate. silent. There's Absolutely accurate. Everything that you see, aside from like the surface of the moon, is 100% what we know now of the space industry, yeah. but they had no clue. Yeah, they no. guessed it all, and it was because right. of Arthur C. Cl- I'm holding the book up, <laughs> and I'm pointing at his and name. caught it. It was Arthur C. Clarke's influence. Yeah. On on Kubrick's filmmaking that yeah. made this. That's why. That's why people speculate that they they faked the moon landing. Is because uh, they nailed it so hard with this text or with this film. Yeah, takes a big swig. The the, the moon landing. Oh painting. well, yeah. I can't stand that. <laughs> I can't stand that. Well, you know it's fake, Adam. I'm taking a big drink. There's an Adam ruins everything <laughs> on college humor that yeah, explains why 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 we couldn't fake the moon landing. Mm-hmm. And the lights alone would have cost more than the <laughs> to land on the moon. Conspiracy theories suck ass. Yeah. Um. I don't know where I was going with that. Okay, so the book itself. Sorry. So there's no story. No. Well, we've all no, acknowledged it. Zero. Or there's He's wrapping so much, it up. There, there is even a thinner like like realm of causality than you would get in your average porn. It's like <laughs> it, there is almost nothing. Yeah. However, the shit that surrounds it, like the fucking Europans and yeah, we didn't even talk about the Europans. All right, let's, and take it, let's let's go here. Go there. Go there. The the like subsystem that Jupiter when it implodes into a star. That the mega monolith that was hovering uh-huh. around at the end of 2001 creates in the third book in the series. We look, this book is really kind of exploring what happens as a result of that. The fact that we now have a binary star system, that Lucifer, it's weak, it's not producing a ton of light. The fact that they fucking call it Lucifer, I mean, is another thing. I was looking boom. for deeper meaning there. Like, all right, it's the it's, brightest one, it's the hell, yeah, it's yeah. the brightest one, sure. That's it. That was his his godly name. Yeah, God's preferred son before he fell. Became Satan. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, speculative fiction. It's just the fact that this whole like system opens up, and now we're learning more about Europa now, which yeah. I think is amazing. And and Saladus, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. And Ganymede, where he goes yeah. to that hotel at, right. at the, and the and the Meads. Until Granny Mead. Yes. Poor Granny Mead. Oh my God. It's just the fact that it's like the moons of Jupiter become worlds unto themselves, yeah. and then you've got this like slow, ultra slow moving like, like plankton life thing that yeah. crawls out into yeah. igloos to sleep, and then they go back into the water. I mean, yeah. well, we some... presume it's the opposite. Yes. We presume they go to the igloos to do stuff yes. and sleep in the ocean. Some crazy badass shit, and I love yeah. the callback in this in this book to the one I uh, I believe it was twenty sixty one when the the CN crashes. On the surface of Europa, mm. and that thing comes out of the the, the photo. Um, what do you call it? Uh, a bioluminescent creature comes out of a crack in the yeah. ice just because of the light. Because of the light, yeah. yeah. And then just like that whole recollection of like that, I can see shit like that going down right. in reality. Like mm-hmm. the things you read about this shit, it's like that's for well, real. And 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 that brings me to like 
what I think was probably my favorite part of this book and what makes me want to read other better Arthur C. Clarke books Mm -hmm. is, you know, we got some Lovecraft coming up and Lovecraft's whole thing was the idea that like, you know, humanity is such a small trivial part of a much larger Mm -hmm. universe that we can't possibly comprehend. And that's totally the vibe that I got from this book. You know, the whole thing with like the monoliths, there was, I mean, to me, the most fascinating part of the book is like, what was it? The prologue or whatever, where it's, yeah, the prologue, the firstborn. Mm -hmm. And it talks about these like millennia ago, these like space, like deities almost that like, like uh had briefly visited earth and like set certain things in motion and then they had like vanished and now the monoliths are like sending them signals and stuff but it's never explained like fully it's just alluded to and so we're we're left to believe that the humanity that exists in 3001 is like a sliver of this vast universe that we don't understand and of which we're just such a, a, a trivial part right and in the worst way possible, I kept thinking of ancient aliens. Ah, <laughs> Giorgio Sikolov. I kept thinking of ancient aliens. That guy is my spirit animal. <laughs> yeah. Like, I get it. I love alternate origin stories. We had talked a lot about semen and rivers of semen uh, in the yeah. last Indeed. origin my stories. My favorite part of the book, by the way. God yeah. jerked off the world. Yes. That's right. <laughs> and and now we're talking... <laughs> it legitimizes my weeknights. <laughs> Oh. How many Make worlds sure have you created, Sean? <laughs> Countless. Make sure to switch hands, man. <laughs> but that's good advice, Adam. Yes, four points. Yeah. Wow, we got our own rating scale. And though. for all the worlds that Sean has created, he gets a point. Yes. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. I, I do what I can. Yeah. There you go. I, uh, I just, I find it intriguing. In the ways that, like, heart science doesn't quite match up with what we know now. Mm. And that's a, that's a hard match. Yeah. Right? So, like, science marches on faster than really writers can, if we're going to be honest. It's a great point. And you look at, like, the work of Jules Verne or yeah. all the other, you know, speculative futurists upon which Arthur C. Clarke stands on their shoulders. And it's... So many things that just become anachronistic when you yeah. look at it, right? Which is unfair to them in a way. It is. Because it takes multiple years to write a book. Right. You know, like you look at Star Trek, the initial yeah. series, and everything was like a hard push button, like weird sounds, and everything yeah. felt so antiquated now. Even the next generation, when you look at their interfaces, even though they look pretty slick and you're like, wow, that's really cool, it, it pales in comparison to the things that we know are coming down the pipe. Yeah, and it's right. just... Um, it's really hard to imagine the future when everything that you know is based in limited knowledge, right? Yeah. And and again, <clears throat> speculation. If you guys are looking for the better Arthur C. Clarke read, by the way, I have a great recommendation from a friend from Saudi Arabia who recommended Rendezvous with Rana or Rama or Ooh. Rendezvous with Rama. Sorry, that's my. Let me get my French in here. Rendezvous <laughs> with Rama. And then uh, the Fountains of Paradise is the one he references explicitly in this text okay. with um, the diamond towers. Oh, so that's um, that's what the Fountains of the Space Elevator basically is that, gotcha. that okay. concept, which is very intriguing to me in different ways to uh, achieve extra orbital mm-hmm. travel in the like. So like, I love that part of it. I didn't know that was actually tried too. Yeah. We've experimented. We've tried that. many different ways we, to get out to that. Didn't they try to drop 
a cable out of a spaceship at mm-hmm. one, or one of, the, one of the shuttles at one point and it broke for whatever reason. But there's, if you think about the theory behind it, it's extremely sound that we could run a line basically from space elevators. Yeah. Just yeah. The, the, the fact that it's infinitely powered, like mm-hmm. there's no need to have any kind of rocket propulsion anymore. And you could run payloads up and down from Earth to the space, or to the space, to the space. With, <laughs> you can tell uh, the martinis are kicking in. Oh, they have kicked in. <laughs> the, yeah. Thank you for your patience. I can't speak for anybody else, but holy shit, have these martinis kicked in. Well, we basically have all drank probably... Please, please make sure you're imbibing as well. Oh, God, us. about a quart of vodka and gin at this point. Is, <laughs> yeah. uh, has, and vermouth on top of that has yeah. gone. And beer. Yeah. And beer. Yeah. Yes. And so, a Guinness. Yeah. It's... Uh, and yet we're yeah. still talking about space elevators and yeah, and yeah. <laughs> making we're really. Still here. Can we talk about the subtle things that Clark brings up in the book that I look at it now as an adult and I realize that's fucked up. When I was a kid, like... I, I totally glossed over it. Like the fact that grad students were doing it with their advanced ape species assistance. Oh. Yeah, what the fuck was this? <laughs> I, I think I fell asleep during that. Dude! I'm gonna be honest. They Dude, had like these God. these like semi sentient. Like, it was like an archaeological dig yes. or something. Yeah, and, yeah. I remember reading that and being like, <laughs> yeah. "I need to reread that they, because they found... I read it wrong." And I reread no. it and I did not read it wrong. They no, found the monolith right. in Africa where yeah. our ancient ape ancestors like basically learned how to use bones to kill is each that other. TMA one. Ah, yes. here it is. Here it is. Right? Oh, no, was it zero? No, it was one because zero was on the moon. Zero was the moon. Yes. One on page fifty-seven. Mike. However. The students adored the genetically enhanced gorillas, whom they treated like, I shouldn't say this word, but I'm, you know, I don't believe in censoring the artist, whom they treated like retarded but much loved children. It was rumored that the relationships were not always completely platonic. Mm. I wrote in the notes, I wrote on here, um, what? Yes. <laughs> I read it. Yes. Look at that. See, I wrote, yeah, um, I get, um, what? what? Yeah, in blue yes, ink. confirmed. Did I, did I just, for Sherry. Did I just fucking read that correctly? They're right. banging apes or getting banged by apes. And it's yeah. just stated so casually. Like, yeah. it's just yeah. put it in there and then he just moves on. There's yeah. no explanation yeah. no. for it. You know what? Of course, where my mind goes is I've watched way too much Discovery Channel and read way too many things is... Humans have the largest Let's penis in do the primates. Do it like we do in the Discovery well, Channel. But this is the thing. We have the largest penises in the entire uh, primate branch of the animal kingdom. Remember that, nerds. It's true. <laughs> no matter what you, no matter what they tell you, yeah, <laughs> you have a bigger wiener than a monkey, and a, even even a gorilla. And it makes you think, like, what what are the mechanics? And then, of course, they're like, why am I going here? Yeah. <laughs> and I started thinking, you like, rabbit hole damn you, Arthur C. Clark. Yeah. Why did you do this to me? Yeah. Yes. Why is that there? Honestly, I, I can't think of I a reason. I don't understand. Right? And there's some vague, like, there's vague racism in there occasionally. There and then there's, like, there was some sexism, too, with women. And they're like, like oh, there should be in the kitchen or something. Ha, ha, ha. It yeah. was a joke. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Not a joke. Whoa. Awkward. But again, the man was old when he wrote the book. Yeah, and you have yeah. to think about the. And I, I, I don't like to be retroactively uh, censoring, but just the fact that he had lived in a different time, it's it's easy for us now to dismiss that and mm-hmm. say like, well, that's nothing. Yeah, the guy was an idiot. But that's not the world view of that person's life, and I feel like, right. like you said, not censoring the artists. Like, it's like mm. we don't censor things when we teach it because that would be robbing history of its weight. 
And, and you have to think of it that way. Well, and I cannot wait to have this conversation when we do get to some Lovecraft because that's a complicated mm, conversation. That's going to be a yeah. long cast. You know, yeah, yeah, it is. And and that's that, you know, unfortunately We're, has to be a part of the conversation. We are dipping but, our toes in the in the world of uh, of uh, eugenics. Multi-sequenced co- podcasts here where we have to episodic viewing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Or listening, sorry. Yeah. But I was surprised by, you know, to your point about different generation how old Arthur C. Clarke was when he wrote this book. Mm. Because he died when he was 90, and that was like 2007 or 8. Wow. And this yeah. book was like, what, 97-ish yeah, or 90? Yeah. So he was 80. about 80. Yeah, well, yeah. upper 70s. Yeah, I mean, he was he was definitely getting up there. I hope to be that lucid when I'm... Oh, God. Oh, absolutely. Tell me. Yeah. 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 I think he had just, honestly, like, this is the type of thing where it was like the publisher was going to put out anything that had Arthur C. Clarke's name on it. Mm-hmm. And Arthur C. Clarke was at a point where he couldn't be bothered with narrative. He was like, I really want to explore the world of 3001. Yeah. You know what? Great. Good for him for that. Honestly, because I, I, in your third book in a four book series, you do whatever you want right, to do. Right. This is the fourth book in the fourth four book series. Thank you. That <laughs> wasn't going to call. Yeah. So Sean. Sean <laughs> hey, Point. Least drunk. <laughs> Yes. Uh, maybe. Yes. No, nope. Yep. I'm going to say yes. I am. This will be a long evening. Oh, we've only begun to speak. That's right. Um, and so we've talked about, you know, the positivity. We've talked about um, the idea of how realistic is this? Is it fair to forecast a thousand years into the future at mm. that point? And one thing that I wanted to address was in addition to the positivity, Let's talk about the things that we see that were a little problematic in terms of like race, racism, and monkey and fucking. Monkey, monkey fucking. fucking. Yes. Can can we just title this monkey? F- I'm tired of these motherfucking <laughs> monkey fucking in this motherfucking yeah. um tower. We need Charlton Heston for that. Yeah. And you need to have staring hash- at a chair. <laughs> Get your damn dirty ape dick out of my ass. Staring oh, at a right. chair would be a Clint Eastwood reference, but yeah. nicely oh, done. Fuck. <laughs> I'm sorry. Two martinis in. You're right, Mike. You got me. But but Mike, <laughs> point. You should uh, you should hashtag monkey fucking when uh, yes. I will. This episode as well. Again, I we're will. gonna pick up a whole world of subscribers. We, we might not watch this. Different world here. <laughs> Different world. You know, I, I tried to not pay too much attention to those kind of problems. In sure. The book. Um, I, you know, for me, the biggest problem with the book was just that it, it didn't, it, it almost felt like a journal that the author was keeping yes. as he prepared to sure. write a novel, but yes. it didn't feel like a novel. Notes. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my biggest objection. But that could be, because you, as you said, the man was 80 right. when he was tasked with this or wanted to do this. And right. perhaps yeah. it was like a... Eh, fuck it. Here's some notes I had from the yeah. last few books, and <laughs> yeah. let's make a novel out of it. It's almost like the like how does how does J.R.R. Tolkien keep releasing things that yeah. he like scribbled on a cocktail napkin hundred years ago? J.R.R. Martin. Oh, George R. Martin. George yeah. R. Martin. Sorry. <laughs> Adam the, is the Martinis. I'm done. <laughs> Those of you who are with me, we're done. Also, also um, we're done. <laughs> not to split hairs here, but George R.R. Martin does not keep releasing stuff. No, no. He, he Sean releases, and I talked about this. He releases briefly. things that we don't want to read. Yeah, <laughs> not the things that we absolutely are waiting to read. But yeah. anyway, we're we're sidetracking. Different nerd cast. <laughs> Can we just talk about the fact that the cover of the book that Mike and I both have brought with us, yeah. and I don't think your library one has it. It says New York Times bestseller. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. How the hell is this? That's Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> I guess you know? it's, it's, it's Arthur the name. C. Sir Arthur C. Clarke yeah, it's the has cachet. a lot of weight. You know that's yeah. the, that is similar to the only way that box office records might be set by a certain actor friend of ours 
who has done some post-apocalyptic movies like oh. Waterworld oh. and The Postman. Oh, you know who I'm talking about. Get Say his point. name with me. Kevin Costner. Costner. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, Might be a Kevin Costner fan cast. <laughs> That's the only love he's getting on the internet these That's days. That's fine. That's but fine. Th- I mean, but this is a valid point because, like, yeah. I, I think that, like, even even the reviews that I read that were contemporary to when this book came out mm. were were almost apologetic in their mm. criticisms. Like, they didn't quite want to criticize Arthur sure. C. Clarke. Yeah. They were, you know, they were like, oh, there are so many... Almost like we're doing. There's almost yeah. there's there's so many great ideas, and it's such a interesting vision of the future, and and like the way that he you know writes is like you know it's very positive it's about what a girl says this he rejects the boy. He's yeah. interesting. <laughs> he's interesting. He's such a nice boy. Yes. So positive. He's such a nice boy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. but, but then they would all then like almost apologetically point out that like there's no story. There's yeah. literally no yeah. story at all I'm until the final 30 pages, which is then resolved. Okay. You know, yeah. in a yeah. silly, you know, in, like I said, Independence in, Independence Day way. We you know, used I, our virus right. vault. I wanted moon. Jeff Goldblum yes. to come in in the final page and be like, forget the fat lady. You're obsessed with the fat life, lady. You know, <laughs> go faster. Go faster. Life, life, life will find a way. Yeah. If you if you just drop the, the water on my hand, you'll see that it drops different ways. <laughs> I agree with you, Mike. Like, I loved the last 30 pages, and I wanted there to be more. Can I just real quick? By the way, if you're Jeff Goldblum, and you're listening to this podcast, we're looking for partnerships. We are. We are big fans, Mike. I would love to talk to you. You could be the face and voice. You are the the sexy image of Jeff Goldblum is the sexy image. Jeff, if you want to hang out with us one night and talk about a book and get drunk, you would, we would, we would love that. I would send whatever you wanted your way. And if if he refuses, we could all just do our approximations of Jeff Goldblum, you know, which which is just to talk really fast. There's something. And then then pause like this, apparently. Uh, every once in a while. Well, and then just why why did you give me the melt stick? It wasn't a capital <laughs> offense. Oh. Uh, but right we do love you, Jeff. Yes. Jeff. This is we for Jeff. You. For Jeff. For Jeff. Point for Jeff. <laughs> this, this podcast has derailed so many times. And it's, <laughs> I, I mean, there's no book to talk no, about. Oh, you're right. Unfortunately. <laughs> you're right. And I felt like it was me. I thought I was wrong. No, no, no. Coming fourth book out of fourth book. No. But I'm glad. Like... I know his. He's knighted, yeah. and and he would Sir. defend the queen. Yeah, that's right. He upon, would go on quests and save yeah. princesses and and, mm-hmm. and knights, and and right. he would get his armor yeah. and all that shit, <laughs> yeah. along with Sir Elton John, <laughs> Sir Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney. I mean, didn't they all go on a quest for the Grail at some point? I mean, and the Holy mm. Hand Grenade. Yes, and Sir Sean Connery too, right? Piesu Domine. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, exactly. neat. Um, and so I think I think we've come to the point where it's time to give our recommendations. Oh no! Already? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. We're we're an hour in. Oh, it's time. It is time, friends. <laughs> Damn it! What say you? What say me? Well, should I go first? Is this my book or should I go last? I'm going to throw you on this, the spigot of the fire and say oh, yes, you God. may go first. The spigot of the fire. Yes. Adam is completely inebriated. <laughs> so drunk. As right he now. drives the bus inebriatedly over me. Um, so so you know, I am home. Yes. And not driving this yeah, is anywhere. Home. Yes. But I mean, honestly, if, if you can get very inebriated Thanks, and Mike. still use phrases like spigot of fire. Sure. You're doing all right. Yeah. Thank you. I think <laughs> you're under control. Yeah. All right. I, I'm going right. to say this. I'm going to start with this. It's your book, so I want to give you the first shot. 
I now will say that I enjoyed Snow Crash more. And Mike just, for those of you who are not seeing Five this, points for Mike! Mike just did a little, like, a yes! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Movement, like, a, like the hand pump, fist pump type of thing. But I will also say that I stand by my thoughts that this book brings a positive energy. Word. Yeah, I'm with you. Word up. And that it also um, brings up some pretty amazing thoughts about a potential human future, which is, mm-hmm. a, I, again, the reason why I pick it, nonetheless. And uh, if you're watching or listen, watching, if you're listening to this cast, then either you're broke and don't know what you're doing with your life. or <laughs> And we appreciate you. Yeah, indeed. Or you really you love Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. Or for some reason we've pulled you in with something else we've done and you're just listening to this and this is, you know, this is going to rank as one of the worst ones we've ever done because we really got hammered on this one. But yeah, uh, I'm going to... Space cocktails. I'm going to put this yeah. at a total thumbs down. Sorry, yeah. Arthur C. Clarke. I, I, I honor your memory and all that you achieved in life and I'm a huge fan of 2001 A Space Odyssey and, and the two other sequels. This one is just a stroke job. <laughs> it's it's you gotta you, get the man there it's you creating a world by jerking off yeah and that's all i'm gonna say it i'm throwing it to mike now yeah, yeah all mike, right so um, i don't know i like I, I said at the outset and i'll say again I, I feel really strange not you know saying positive things about this book because i did not dislike reading it um i was i mean i was interested the whole time it was a pleasant reading experience there were really you know, very interesting ideas in it and interesting visions of the future. And, and, and as we've said, I, I really did appreciate the positive, you know, vision of humanity. There's just no plot. I mean, that, and, and I, I felt like I looked at this one and I thought maybe like late career miss. Uh, it has made me, I have not read any other Arthur C. Clarke, and this book has made me want to read his good stuff, you know, the stuff that he's yeah, known for. the early stuff. His reputable stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say don't read this one, but I'm not going to say don't read Arthur C. Clarke because I want to, and I think, uh, you know, I think it's worth investing in. Uh, there you go. Point, Mike. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> I'm going to echo Mike's sentiments and say read 2001. Do not watch 2001 when you're tired. Watch 2001 in any state. It's a great movie. Agreed. I really loved it. And (laughs) I just have to say that it has been a long month for me. Yeah. And that's the only reason why I fell asleep during 2001. I'm glad I woke up during the trippy light moments (laughs) and aging. Thank you. Yes. I will say that 3001 is a no for me. Yeah. But 2001 is a yes for me. Can I can I recommend real quick? And, and you can do whatever I, I don't you want. I want to sidetrack your recommendation, but I would say try watching the film for 2010. Ooh, it's it's like you know how like Alien is a landmark like space horror film. <laughs> yeah, Aliens. Yeah, was like what catapulted James Cameron into the stratosphere. Yeah, 2010 is a similar, different kind of vibe. It's not as slow as mm. 2001, and you might you might get into that a little bit more. And I can do that. Okay. And uh, I'm going to say I like the writing. It's hard to come in at the end and try to read it as its own. So be fair to Arthur C. Clarke. Read 2001. Mm. Read the next book. Watch the two movies. But maybe skip 3001. I'm going to say I'm 
And so we've gotten to the thumb. I'm sorry, Sean. No, Sean no, is... no. Sean is frowning. I'm not frowning. I'm 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 the opposite of frowning right okay. now. I okay. uh, I Sean is reacting. This. I gave it a thumbs down. You did. That's that's fair. That's I fair. picked the fucking thing yeah. and I gave it a thumbs down. But you know what? I love the fact that we came to a hard science fiction after our speculative fiction, after our cyberpunk. Mm, yeah. So we're covering all the genres of sci- of um, speculative fiction. And I want to transition over to a hard transition, which is our yep. Timothy Zahn book yeah. Oh, yeah. coming up next in April, man. Let's read some Thrawn. You want to go as far away from science as possible. We're going to Star Wars, bitches. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and we've Star all Wars. agreed on this. One. <laughs> I mean, I, this is something like you know. I think from all of our ch- collective childhoods, but I'm, I'm excited to revisit it, revisit yeah. it as an adult. And um, you know, I you couldn't be more right when you say hard hard transition because we're oh, yeah. going from Hardship. we're going from hard science to like I mean, Star Wars has never really been science fiction. It's really more like Lord of the Rings in yeah. space. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um. So, but so yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thrawn, the 2017. Like the new Thrawn. Yeah. 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 The revisit since Disney Overlord has created a new Star Wars canon. Yep. So that would be Timothy Zahn, Thrawn, no colon, nothing after that. Am I right? Should we eat like prawns? <laughs> you you want to eat some? I think that we are all going to fawn over this novel. Maybe some wontons. <laughs> I'm not trying to con you guys. Well, I'm going to fawn over the novel <laughs> yeah. here, because I already think it's going to be great. Okay. We are so far gone. <laughs> Honestly, if you stayed with us, thank you. Yes. I'm thank about ready God. to pawn my uh, recording equipment here. This would oh. be a great thing for us to fade out on, and this is like that Nipponese rap shit from the... Yes, <laughs> yes. This will either make if you're or with break us, the no cash. cash. <laughs> yes, yeah. this, this is it. This is our moment. If you survive this, more power to you. That's right. And we will see you next podcast with Timothy Zahn. <laughs> Thank you for staying with us. We'll see you next month with Timothy Zahn's Theron. Theron.